One of the privileges I had uh, in doing Navy chaplain school this summer was having three rabbis as my classmates. And I had the opportunity then to talk to them, learn about different Jewish customs. And one of the uh, very fascinating thing is the Jewish weddings. And it's a little bit different now uh, how uh, different sects of Jews celebrate their weddings. But in ancient Judaism, there was a three-part process. First, the mutual commitment. Sometimes uh, the family is usually doing the matchmaking, but the, the bride always had to consent, had to be willing. And then, secondly, there was the betrothal. And in this betrothal ceremony, there would be uh, some preparation by the bride and groom separately being immersed in a, a, a water in some kind of cleansing ritual, symbolic of a spiritual cleansing. And during this time, they were considered married, but they were not living together. And they did not engage in relations. They still continued to prepare. Uh, and to annul this contract, the, the husband would have to initiate a religious divorce. And you can call to mind that's what St. Joseph was considering when he was betrothed to Mary and uh, was befuddled by what was going on or maybe didn't feel worthy to be with her. And during this time of betrothal, the groom would go and prepare a place for his bride. And the bride focused on her personal preparations, the wedding garments and some lamps. Because the bride knew to expect the groom after about a year or so, but she did not know the exact day or hour. He could come earlier. And it was the father of the groom who would give final approval for the groom to go retrieve his bride. And for that reason, the bride would keep oil lamps ready at all times, just in case the groom came even in the middle of the night, sounding his ram's horn to lead the bridal procession to the home he had prepared for her. And this is what we see in this parable of the ten virgins, when Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to this special period of betrothal, when the groom comes for his bride. In a certain sense, we are the ones who have been spiritually cleansed, we've been immersed in water, when we have been betrothed to Christ, the bridegroom. But we know he is coming again. And that is what especially he reminds St. Faustina. And in this image of divine mercy, he is wearing a white linen garment. Well, that was actually the color that the bridegroom wore. The bride wore white, but also the groom. And it was made of white linen, just like Jesus is wearing in the divine mercy image. And he's got one foot forward, reminding us that he is coming again. 
Elise comes and he tells us in this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like these two, ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom, Jesus, to come. And what happens? Well, five are foolish and five are wise. And the bridegroom comes in the middle of the night, so they fall asleep. But the wise ones, they had their oil ready. And the foolish did not. And so the foolish ones ask when they hear the horn coming, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And what do the wise ones say? No, there's not enough for us and you. You know, go instead to the merchants. Now, does this really make any sense? This is in the middle of the night. It's not like there's a 24-7 Walmart in ancient Judaism. Uh, and so this is always something in Jesus' parables that always throws us off. You know, I always thought as a kid, why, why can't the uh, wise virgins share? You know, that doesn't seem very nice. But, you know, maybe they do have a point. There's, there's not enough to go around. But then another part that doesn't seem to make sense is the virgins uh, that were foolish do go out and they try to come back, but the door has been locked to this wedding feast. And what does Jesus say? What does the bridegroom say? Amen. I say to you, I do not know you. Now, in ancient Judaism, that wouldn't have really made much sense. That's a little jarring because everybody that comes to the wedding are the close friends and family. And how is the bridegroom saying, I do not know you? Well, think of elsewhere in the gospel where not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not enough to say, I know Jesus, but we have to have our hearts united with his, with our will. We have to do the will of his Father in heaven. And this union of our hearts is what Jesus yearns for. He collects his bride, the whole church. He comes for us. He yearns to come again, in which he will bring justice and peace. He says the night before he dies, he told the apostles, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Remember that last supper, he says to his apostles, he goes to prepare a dwelling place for us in heaven. And then he will come, just like the ancient Jewish bridegroom, who during that patrol of time goes, prepares the dwelling place, but then will come for us which the day nor the hour we know. But just like the bride in this ancient Jewish uh, wedding ceremony, we do know that it is soon approaching. 
But even Peter, St. Peter says, you know, the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so that is why Jesus is reminding us to be vigilant, to be, in a certain sense, prepared. But how are we to be prepared? Well, Jesus is talking about here having your oil and your lamps prepared. The reason the wise virgins cannot share the oil is because these, this oil is our charity. It is our good works. And we will each be judged according to how much we store it up in our hearts. And that cannot be shared. And that perfect justice, what we did, is what we will be held accountable to. And, you know, the light of Christ comes to us. And we enjoy that light. But we're called to share that light with others. That's why, you know, once we're baptized, we are, in a sense, having a lamp. We've been consecrated to God. But, like these virgins, we must abstain from all that is impure and unlawful, all that is not of God, from all improper, sensual indulgence, you know, whether it's with our eyes, our ears, our smell, our taste, our touch. We must remain pure and holy like these virgins. And the oil, then, is what fuels our charity. It is that prayer we have with the Holy Spirit. You know, the light that we have with others is our good works. And that's why the Lord says elsewhere in the gospel, you know, do not cover, uh, you know, a lamp is not meant to be covered by uh, a lampshade. It's meant to be shared with others. And so that's why he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. How do we keep this oil fueled then? Well, prayer, and particularly prayer through the Eucharist. Because it is in the Eucharist that Jesus does come again. Every Mass, he comes Maybe not in that full fashion in which he comes to uh, bring us to that marriage banquet in heaven. But he does come in a substantial way, but in a more maybe anticipatory way. And in our first reading, we see that uh, wisdom hastens to make herself known in anticipation of their desire, those who love her. And wisdom is that word made flesh. And at Mass, Jesus comes to us in anticipation. Do we desire Jesus in the Eucharist? The bride when she's waiting for her groom, she's looking forward to that final marriage ceremony. She's looking forward 
to her wedding night. She's looking forward to enjoying that union with her groom. Are we as a church, are we individually looking forward? Or are we like the foolish virgins who are getting distracted with other things? Are, is our desire for Jesus? In our responsorial psalm, the refrain was, My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord my God. O God, you are my God, whom I seek. For you my flesh pines and my soul thirsts, like the earth parched, lifeless, and without water. Do we thirst for God like the earth thirsts for water? Father Andy, uh, one of the priests I just transferred here, was mentioning in a homily the other day this analogy of, you know, in the, in the airplane, if those oxygen masks come down, you're going to crave that oxygen. In a certain sense, we should be craving the Eucharist even more because the Eucharist is our very lifeblood. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life within me. So even more than that oxygen in the plane, we should be craving Jesus in the Eucharist, thirsting for him, seeking our gaze toward him and his sanctuary, to see, as we heard in the Responsorial Psalm, his power and glory. And if we don't see that fully, the power and glory within Mass, then Eucharistic adoration is a great way to increase our hunger and thirst, our desire, our enlightening of our minds to really see what's going on here. Bishop Strickland is on my mind as we pray for him. I remember a couple years ago, he said it was only through Eucharistic adoration that he started really coming to appreciate what was going on at Mass and that his hunger and thirst for even the, like the consecration at Mass started to really increase. You know, and he had been a priest for years. He was now a bishop. And he said, though it was Eucharistic adoration that really allowed that to flourish. And within Mass, there is so much going on, but think about communion time especially. When the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Well, scripturally, that's from Revelation, and it's the full verses. Blessed are those called to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. That is the marriage banquet Jesus comes to prepare for us, and he's giving us a foretaste here and now. And in communion, he's giving us a foretaste of that union we'll have in heaven. We're to have, you know, like the Protestants say, a personal relationship with the Lord, but you're not going to have any more intimate time with the Lord than during com Holy Communion. But are we, what are we doing to prepare for that Holy Communion? Like we have to be like the, the bride and the, 
bridesmaids, the virgins, we have to prepare. We once had a retreat here by uh, Dr. Castagnon who studies Eucharistic miracles. And he was saying, you know, the night before we know we're going to receive Holy Communion, we should be desiring Holy Communion. Is that really on our mind that, hey, wow, tomorrow I'm going to be able to receive Holy Communion. Jesus is going to come into me. In a sense, this is the consummation of our union on earth when Jesus comes into us. But are we looking forward to that? That is why we need to prepare for Holy Communion, to be cleansed, and you know, whether with uh, confession or even just like uh, the other forms of prayer and fasting, so that we might feast with the Lord here in this Eucharistic banquet. Jesus is coming again, but we, it's up to us whether or not we want to be united with him. It's up to us to keep the oil in our lamp burning. And the only way we keep replenishing that oil is through prayer. Eucharistic adoration and meditation every day. You know, we have our lamps. We are committed. You know, this parable is not about the believers and non-believers. These are all believers here. But yet, even in the end, not all who believe, not all who say, Lord, Lord, not all who knock on the gates of heaven will have it open to them. Some of them, Jesus will say, I do not know you. It is up to us to keep the oil burning through prayer, through our faith. In a sense, this parable is about perseverance. Taking it one day at a time. And no matter the trials, we are to persevere and keep looking forward to that union with the Lord. To not allow anything in this life get in the way. Jesus, at one point in the gospel, you know, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? One of the seminarians was saying, Father Seraphim, before he passed away a few years ago, was telling him how that verse there, when Jesus says, when he comes again, will he find faith on earth, implies two things. That one, it's because the faithful on earth in the end times will be persecuted and they will be martyred. And so their numbers, in a certain sense, will dwindle on earth. But then there will also be many trials and persecutions which will also drive away and purge some of the faithful to fall away, to not persevere to lose the faith. And so it's a good reminder for us in this parable to continue to be wise by preparing our oil lamps, by praying every day and being focused not on the oil in other people's lamps, 
to not be focused on all the other injustices taking place, to not be focused on all the crazy things going on, whether in the church or in our society. And we may have a role to play in Christ's victory over all those evil things. But our first and foremost role is to focus on the oil in our lamps, preparing our union with the bridegroom so that when he comes, we are vigilant, that we are awake, so that we might be one of those elect truly enjoying the marriage banquet of the Lamb. As John wrote in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Hello, I'm Father Thaddeus Langton of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, and I'm excited to let you know about my new podcast with Father Timothy Childers called Keeping It Marian. To access the podcast, simply visit divinemercyplus.org or search Keeping It Marian on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on whatever podcast platform you prefer. I want to share with you the riches of the charism of the Marian Fathers, which is the mystery of the Immaculate Conception, how it touches our lives as consecrated priests and religious, and how this mystery can bear fruit in your life especially by keeping the word of God and pondering it in our hearts in imitation of our blessed mother. I hope you'll join us. Again, it's called Keeping It Marian. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you. And God bless you.